Say It With Guitars. I'm your host, Pete Cornelius. Each episode, I'll be digging deep and getting to hang with some of Australia's finest guitar pickers, songwriters, producers, collectors, and makers. I look forward to bringing you these fun conversations and hope you enjoy Say It With Guitars. Hey! Hey, going out there, music lovers. Thanks for joining us on the very first episode of Say It With Guitars. Bit of an idea I came up with whilst laying in bed one night in the thick of having COVID-19. I thought it'd be an awesome idea to yak with some fellow musicians, talk music, talk guitar. So here we are, our first guest, Mr. Jeff Lang. He really doesn't need much of an introduction. He's um, definitely one of Australia's most respected and creative guitar players. Sure was a joy chatting with Jeff, and I hope you guys enjoy the conversation. Before we crack into today's show, I'd like to shout out to our sponsor, Mr. Billy Tarrant from Tarrant Guitars. Billy's an amazing luthier, and he makes some real sweet instruments. I'm lucky enough for him to have built me a double O size acoustic guitar, which I've dragged all around the country and it's sounding better than ever. So yeah, check out tarantguitars.net.au. It has his one-stop custom workshop for custom-made guitars, all guitar repairs and services. Let's get into the show. With a list of album releases and credits along with the most arms, three ARIA awards in the pool room and a collection of wild, wacky and wonderful guitars that wouldn't look out of place at Mona, Please let me introduce, to say it with guitars, today's guest, Jeff Lang. Jeff, thanks Good for Good to be here us. with you, Pete. Thanks, mate. How's it all going in, uh, I'm guessing you're in Melbourne, you're back home, yeah? Yeah, yeah, in Melbourne. Been pretty busy the last couple of months, really, but um, yeah, things have started getting back to, you know, some semblance of normal. <laughs> it has been a wacky <coughs> few years, very wild. Um, and I have That's noticed pretty strange, yeah. I have noticed you have been busy. You've been on the Blues Fest program, and did you get up to Broad Beach last week? Yes, yeah, I was there last weekend, and um, yeah, it's been a real mixture of things because I've been doing the odd gig with William Crichton in his band, oh, as well as doing solo gigs, and then I've got a new band with my wife Alison Ferrier. So we've been kind of mixing it up. Sometimes even in one weekend, like the Easter weekend. Alison and I played at the National in Canberra and then I did a solo, well, actually a duo gig with Danny McKenna, but doing yep. my own songs uh, yep. at Blues Fest. So it was, um, yeah, running double brain duty. Wow. How does how does one do that? <laughs> with um... Um, well, I decided to make it easier on myself with the setup and I just, because the high ace gig is, uh, you know, it's all electric guitars pretty much. Yep. So I just decided to do the duo gig with Danny on electric guitar instead of hauling two setups around the East Coast on planes and stuff just seemed a little bit crazy. Yeah. And it is quite the extensive setup. I have um, looked at your little uh, gear, you know, rig rundown video you put out a little <laughs> while ago. Um, yeah, I did that because people asked me at the end of gigs, you know, I just had to 
make it easier than spending that 25 minutes talking through at the end of each gig several times to just go, just check it out on YouTube. Yeah, here's a, here's a card with a YouTube link on it or a, or a barcode you can scan. Yeah, um, and it is quite the extensive setup. I know um, the idea of this podcast is to sort of talk a little bit about gear, a little bit about people's setup, but also just to sort of get a little in-depth of... I know what goes on behind the scenes and how to how people kind of manage a bit of work-life balance and just a bit of I don't know maybe a bit of mm-hmm. advice for young up-and-comers. So maybe maybe we just start with a little quick little uh, intro to your your guitar playing. You started playing at fourteen. Um, yes. Born in Canberra, grew up in Geelong. H- how did you how did you get onto guitar? Was it through your folks? Did you hear, hear some good music through your parents? Or Yeah, yeah, mostly my, my dad used to, well, he still does, listen to a lot of stuff like Ry Cooter, Leo Kotke, um, electric players like Roy Buchanan. Um, so, you know, there was there was a bit of electric guitar and, and acoustic stuff, rootsy kind of stuff and pretty guitar heavy, as well as that he always listened to a lot of, both my folks liked Bob Dylan. So right. um, there's a lot of things that... You know that I heard growing up that were passing fads in in the charts and whatever, and some of that stayed with me, and some of it got rightfully left by the wayside. But um, luckily, I've got you know music from when I was first hearing music that I can still kind of hang on to, and it's stayed with me all the way through my life. Mm. Um, yeah, definitely some great people there to uh, to sink your teeth into. Like Roy Buchanan's not one that pops up. All the time, I suppose in the electric guitar scene, he is, but definitely not. Um, when you hear of you know people getting into Roy Buchanan and Roy Cooter at the mm. same time, they're kind of like both sides of the fence. So that's yeah, that's yeah, they, yeah. The old man was listening to a fair bit of different stuff, and yeah, Willie Nelson was another yeah. one. Um, Andre Segovia. Mm, yeah. There's there's a fair mix of. I mean, he wasn't like listening to a lot of different players it was really you know jj kale was in there yeah. maybe some clapton as well yep. um that's that's the stuff i can remember um you know the biggest impression on me was made by probably by dylan um and Ry Cooter in terms of playing just because um hearing slide guitar as part of the sound of the instrument right yeah. away because i mean in the pop charts in the 80s when i was a teenager there wasn't a lot of that in fact there's hardly <laughs> any if any at all um and maybe except uh, so for a bit of lap steel. Having that on, is um, just part, part. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Who, who was maybe doing that? A bit of lap steel on like Jackson Brown. Maybe that might have been the only kind of slide. Yeah. That was out there. And not really in the 80s. And it wasn't, wasn't really in the, you know, in the, in the charts in the 80s when I was starting to, you know, like I turned 10 in 79. And so by the time, you know, I guess around 11, thereabouts, I was starting to actually pay attention to what I was listening to, who was actually making the sounds I was listening to. Before then, Dylan, you know, Raikuda, whatever, they were just music yep. that was playing on car trips and playing in the house. And I didn't really separate them out that much. It was just, you know, dad's music yeah. um, <laughs> and, and sometimes mum's music, you know, a bit of Joan yeah. Baez, you know, stuff like that. And, and so, yeah, um, by the time I was paying attention, there was not much in the way of, of slide guitar on, on now maybe yep. the odd bit on a U2 song or something. There'd be some yep. atmospheric kind of lap steel going on. But I can't think of much else. Um, so, yeah, you know, just having something like Cooter and Leo Kotke where um, 
that's just part of the sound of the instrument to me is playing it with the slide and going yep. beyond the, the frets. That 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 sort of sound is just part of how I hear the guitar. So I've got the um, I've got the old man's records to thank for that. Yeah, yeah thanks, Dad. Definitely. Um, and Ry Cooter does like um, I've been heavily into him in the last say 10, 15 years. I wasn't really on on the ball in that regards early on. My parents were a bit more mainstream. Well, I wouldn't say mainstream, but um, went into more of the acoustic kind of stuff. It was a bit heavier at home. So, yeah, I've been digging deep. Yeah, into and the, the thing about Cuda is, is, is that it, it, a lot of the time it's, his, it's just his feel that, you know, his rhythmic oh, feel is the thing that I keep coming back to. It's that kind of greasy, he puts it together in a way that, is not like anyone else. Um, uh, so, you know, that that side of it is also, I think, a part of what's really rubbed yeah. off on me. Um, don't it, it doesn't emerge that much in my own songs because, you know, writing songs and, and just sitting around playing guitar is it's sort of two different things for me a lot of the time. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it's <laughs> definitely if someone starts playing something, you know, Susanna Espy got me to play on a song of hers and she's like, you know, that sort of, early 70s Raikuda thing. It's like all over it. <laughs> just it's, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's right there. It's all just, you know, floating around. Yeah. Yeah. It's great to see he's still making music. Um, there's a record he just mm. brought out with yeah. Taj and his son, Joachim. How would you pronounce his son's name? Is that right? Yeah. Joachim? Joachim maybe, I Joachim. think. Joachim. Mm. No, I'm not sure. Um, mm. So, yeah, but it's yeah, great to yeah, hear him. he grew him. himself a drummer. Yeah. <laughs> I'm working on that myself. Yeah, my little five-year-old's <laughs> loving drums, so I'm embracing that. Yeah, I'd love to be able to play drums. Yeah, it's quite a tribal, I don't know, it, it's, it's a feel-good instrument. It's, it's so good. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of drums, you've been playing a lot as a duo with, with drums, with, um, mm. with Danny and even Angus over the years. Um, yep. The freedom of that is insane. It's it, the possibility. Well, I, I suppose when I see you in the trio format as well with Squire on bass, there's still lots of freedom and you can sort of take it wherever you like. But I know that um, playing myself with just a drummer, the, the, the harmonic freedom is, in, is so spatial and, and... Yes. Yeah, you, you, can, you can kind of... Um, you can take a song harmonically on a, just a sudden left turn and, you know, it, it's it's a little unfair to do that if you just decided in the middle of the song it's in E to just jump to B flat. Um, it's a little bit rude to do that to a bass player because, you know, that's an instrument where if, if they don't know where the song's going, it can, it can be really obvious. Um, yeah. It's probably the hardest instrument to just jump up with a band and and just sort of fill in. Yeah, if you don't know where something's going, it just becomes really clear. Um, whereas guitar, you can kind of skate over the top of a band, and, you know, Absolutely. as long as you can mostly know the key, you can kind of glide across. Um, yep. So, yeah, it, it, the freedom playing just with with drums means, yeah, you just have to lock in on, on rhythm and texture um, and you can take it anywhere you like. Against that, though, yeah, there is a different kind of freedom that comes from playing with a bass or something else holding down the harmonic content that's you can kind of free up your energy that you would use in in your playing and kind of transfer it into you know the the mid range or the higher end of the instrument you don't have to be holding down low end um 
you don't have to hold down low end all the time playing with drums, though. That said, you can't, as part of the fun of it, is working with, um, you know, improvising a spontaneous composition, but it's also partly spontaneous arrangement as well. So there's times where maybe I might even not have the low string of the guitar tuned particularly low, but for a part of a tune, I'll just leave the low string out of it and leave the low end of the chords out of things while I'm singing. And then maybe for the second verse, bring that in. And it can feel like, oh, wow, it's like there's a bass. It's not really. It doesn't (laughs) sound really like there's a bass, but the, the low end was absent. So when it arrives it feels bigger. Um, so you can do those kind of things um, when you're playing just on your own with drums. Um, but, you know, it, it would take, uh, you know, like jazz chops to, to be able to play, to solo and play a lot of chord movement. Absolutely. It kind of lends itself well yeah. to, to modal playing, um, yeah. playing just as a duo with drums. So there's, yeah. there's limitations in it, but limitations can be good. They can, they can, yeah, I, I agree. Limit, limitations can definitely help you with, um, it's, it's you know, you've got four ingredients. Just make whatever you can with those four ingredients, you know, like it's. Yeah, yeah. and sometimes like it, it can feel like, oh, well, there's an instrumental section of a song, you know, oh, it's hard to do because there's no bass player or, or keys or something holding down the chords. What am I going to do? play the chords man you don't have to you don't have have to jerk off (laughs) you know it it doesn't matter you know you don't have to do any any one thing in fact just playing a rhythm break can be quite good can be refreshing yeah yeah and Mm. and especially gives the drummer some space too to be creative maybe with their low end with the bass drum or or maybe bring out some some other textures that they wouldn't typically bring to a three-piece or four-piece gig you know so it sort of gives them room as well to to yep. branch out and, yeah, do their thing. Yeah, because, I mean, whatever combination of musicians you've got, you, you're creating one sound. It's not like, oh, there's the guitar and there's the drums and they're separate. They're together, you know. As far as what you're making, it's, you know, with your voice, with the instruments, whichever combination, you're making one sound. And so it's got to all kind of fit together in, in a good way. Mm. Yeah. Um, the Adventures of Playing Live. It's great. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I've been digging into your back catalogue a bit, Jeff. It's been good to have an excuse to open the vault and go back through the um, mammoth list of records, mate. You've, you've got a heap. I, a I, few. I, yeah. Mm. You've been a busy boy. Um, it's supposed to be quality, not quantity, but still. <laughs> I, I think you're on both sides of that fence. And... One one thing I've really picked up on is your ability to create with other people, to collaborate with others, and to sort of bring a bring your sound to whoever that it is that you're working with. Whether it was um, you know work with Bob Brosman or Chris Whitley. I've been living in the rocky house. Empty buildings go flying by. I got trapped above the atmosphere. Got no time to say goodbye. I 
even the stuff with um, Bobby Singh um, on that Jan Jan mm-hmm. and Mamadou yep. Tiabate stuff. It's always like to me, I can hear your tone and your voicing through your instrument within seconds. And I, I think that's that's a real achievement, not only as a player, but as it's, a it's, individual. Well, thanks, you know? man. I mean, it's, it's funny, you know, that when it's someone else, I go, oh, that's definitely, you know, a good thing. And then when it's me, I go, that ah, probably means I can only play two things. But yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, I figured at a certain point that, you know, when I was writing songs was one of the things that really helped me work out who I was as a player because I worked out that I couldn't really do anything convincingly that was trying to um, predetermine what style of song it was even, much less I'm going to write a song like someone else's one. I didn't really ever try to do that, but I would. Yep. I had a band early on, and I tried to write songs for that band's kind of format and the restrictions of it. And they weren't very good. They just, well, frankly, there they weren't very good. I was going to say they weren't very satisfying, but they just weren't very good ultimately. Uh-huh. Um, so I wasn't. I didn't really have the know-how to do it. And then the things that just kind of fell out of me, I'd be sitting there. And I'd be playing around with tunings and and messing around with the guitar and then a melody would come or some words would come and I'd and I'd look at what the the end result was and I'd think I don't really know exactly what that fits with like I couldn't play it with my band but they started to accumulate and I and I kept looking at them and playing them and going but I, I like these though I like these better than those other ones actually the ones that we're playing in the band aren't that good these other ones are a lot better I don't know if they're actually that good but they I like them better and they don't sound like anything else that I've been listening to. It's like a mixture of stuff. And so I just kind of figured that must be my sound. And I've just kind of run with it ever since. And, and as a consequence, I I just don't really worry about um, how's it going to fit to get like, is, is such and such a thing, you know, if I'm playing this type of music, how's it going to, if I write, if I've written this type of song, if I like it, you know, I don't have to worry about does it fit? with the rest of my stuff this song's a real rock and roll song like a you know this like a little richard song or something you know um how's that going to fit with these other songs it's like eh it will because i'm doing it so it'll just for better or worse it'll sound like me and um it's good that that comes across i guess in um in collaborative things because i mean I, i sort of figure as well with that there's there's no point going okay i'm playing with indian guys i'll try and play like an indian yeah. musician because they could they could stay in india and play with indian <laughs> musicians if they want that you know there's no point doing that i'm not that so just do your thing have your voice trust that for better or worse it's you and and say your piece and 
try to converse. Yeah. Um, it's it's not much different to me doing an out-and-out collaborative record, like, say, with Chris Whitley, to just, say, doing a duo gig with Danny McKenna. Yep. It's still collaborative. It's the same type of thing. You know, it's just we've got a song that we're going to interpret together. We're going to take that song and we're going to converse maybe concisely, maybe quietly, yeah, maybe quite widely discursive, but we're going to talk together on the topic of this song and just see where we take it. Um, yep. So that, that, that type of part of it is it's, it's all collaboration to me. Even playing solo can be like that where you're just kind of having a conversation with the song. And, and I try to sort of keep that in mind when I'm playing a solo gig to, to not be thinking, okay, well now I can play it exactly right night to night. It just sort of seems like a disappointing outcome to go a good gig is one where no mistakes were made. It's like, eh, <laughs> yeah. you know, big deal, big yeah. deal, you know, mistakes, whatever. I, I make mistakes all the time if you wanted to look at, you know, you didn't mean to do that and there was a yes. clam or something or – but so, so what of it, you know? Like yeah. loads of oh, players I that I like do that. You know, yep. there's something more thrilling about just a, a bit of a high-wire element to it. So I tried actively, even with my setup with the, with a solo gig – you know, what I run my guitar through and how I process it. There's things that are in there that I have actively sought to, if I want to engage with certain parts of my setup, they invite a little bit of chaos into the proceedings. And yep. you just, you know, I might I might record something with one of the couple of looping devices that I've got up on the table next to me as I'm playing, you know, and I have them there. So I have to stop playing and reach over and use them. And then when I when I start playing it back, I don't know exactly how it's going to come out, where certain things that I've played into it are going to hit in the timing. You just kind of start it and hey, I might even record something and then a few songs later, especially if I'm doing a band gig, <laughs> there's been times where I've recorded things in an Im improvisation section and then later I'll think, ah, that, was, that song was in F, like a sort of an F minor. Okay, that should fit over this. This is in a related key. <laughs> And then also I'll just be about to start singing a verse and I'll just reach over and hit play and yep. and then see what you get, <laughs> you know. But I'll do that in solo gigs too occasionally. Yep. Just to, it's just it's like, it's like having, you know, a DJ's turned up and recorded a bit of your stuff and then messed with it and then yeah. playing it back over you and you don't even know exactly, you know. I know that I've hit play, but apart from that, I don't know exactly what's going to happen. So that's a a part of trying to sort of keep a little bit of the element of surprise in, in a gig that you could very easily become very by rote. Absolutely. It's, it's definitely one thing I try and think about too is, like you said, for each, each time you perform a song, like, yes, you know, this is the form, this is the arrangement, these are the, these are the sounds that I generally go for in that, in that song. Um, mm. Yeah, like you said, let's put another pedal in there or let's... Um, or cool played in a different tuning. Absolutely. You know, play. here's a song that I've played, you know, usually on regular acoustic guitar. Uh, I haven't really worked it out on lap steel, but yeah. oh, let's just see what happens. I'll just do it on that. <laughs> it'll, it'll mean that certain chords are harder to do or I'll have to alter the voicing of the chord or the inversion yeah. and that might be odd under the vocal line, but... Well, let's just see how that works. Yeah. See if you're good enough, lad. <laughs> Step up. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a good challenge. And um, to have that ability, I suppose, to do that on the fly 
it's it's definitely well, it's not even the ability frankly i mean i'm not sure that i always do have the ability to do it but i but i have a mindset have of, of welcoming that well yeah. it's the well it's just just going well it's playing music after all i mean yeah. the, an acknowledgement that the, the worst that can happen is that it, it sounds terrible and the song falls to bits yeah. and you know everyone laughs at you and you laugh at yourself and then you walk into the next song it's it's yeah. it's harmless fun so um you know, like I, I hear other people and I go, like I was being on a Randy Newman kick and listening oh, to sure. the way he arranges songs on piano, I go, yeah, God, guitar, it's such a dunderheaded instrument in a lot of ways for song accompaniment. Why did I invest so much time <laughs> in the guitar? I mean, I know why I do. I love it's The guitar is such a personal instrument and an expressive um, and it can it, invoke a lot of other things and i've been through stages of this with all sorts of instruments you know why didn't i why didn't i play trumpet oh well you didn't um but yeah that's been the latest one is listening to certain things with the way you know and randy newman's not a virtuosic pianist but he seems to really know what he's doing with chord harmony and and so yeah there's a song he's called wandering boy i was listening to and at the end of the song i suddenly went hang on a minute i think he changed tonal center somewhere in there and so i went back to the played the song from the start and it's like yes he changed key oh wow and he did okay. it in such a way through the song that you don't even notice that he changed key yeah. um so you know i hear some of that stuff and go god that's a far cry from just you know droning away <laughs> over a root note <laughs> yeah <laughs> implying chords i mean there's nothing wrong with playing modally and implying chords over one note but yeah i hear other things and i always hear possibilities that I could work on, I guess, you know, a jazz player would go, Oh, that's easy. You know, someone like yeah. James Sherlock would grab his guitar and go, yeah, you just do this. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely a, but you know, I, I think like you said, having, having a limit to your instrument in a way, it kind of gives you a nice grounding and a nice kind of space to work with. And, and I think that's personally why I think I'd like to use different guitars. I, I know that <laughs> listening to a lot of your recent releases, um, every every guitar sound is different. Have you have you gone out of your way to to do that? Like, or has that been more of an inspirational choice? Like, towards a song, yeah, you'll go, just okay. sort of thinking of it. It's like 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 you know different shades, I guess, of of color. It's like okay, you know, recording a song. Um, sometimes you don't necessarily want what's you know the quote unquote best sound or a, a yes. good sound again in inverted commas you, you just need something that has the sound that's going to set that song off and so sometimes that could even be a quote unquote bad sound or a really rough sound or a thin sound or whatever you know so um it's for me about just going with I don't really question it that much I guess I just sort of reach for something it might even just be what's at hand too. And as, as you would know too, whichever amplifier you plug into will change that too. So on two songs that someone might go, oh, yeah, they sound like really different guitars. That might be the one guitar, but just through quite different amplifiers, you know. Yeah. You play, yeah. A, you play a guitar through a, through a twin reverb and then you play it through a little cardboard diatone or that's a golden tone amp with an oval speaker. Yeah. They're very different. Very different outcomes. So, yeah. yeah, it's just, um, yeah, it's casting for the song and just, um, yeah, not really second-guessing it, just going, yep, yeah, I think that's what I'm after. Sometimes it'll be specific. It'll be like, for this, I need that broad, rich kind of sound to fill 
the low and high end around the voice. Other times it'll be something pokier, but yep. yeah, just um, I, I like all those different sounds. And the guitar is a very malleable instrument. You can, it has a limitation um, compared to some other instruments, but that doesn't mean you can't kind of reach mentally for those things. You know, like I mentioned trumpet earlier. If I'm playing lap steel, especially electric lap steel, then I can mentally in my head just try and lean towards the sound a trumpet might make, yeah. even though you can't actually do it. You can kind of lean towards it. Then you might come up with things that aren't just a standard slide guitar move Yep. because there's certain things that do fall out of the slide guitar um, naturally. Yes. You know, like Elmore James licks fall out of the slide guitar naturally <laughs> and they're wonderful. Yeah. And, they, uh, and ironically, they might be simple, but you can't do them exactly the same as him because it's really tied to his body rhythm. But in terms of that general area, playing in those with those slide moves around, you know, two or three strings and just with the sound of them playing against each other at one position mostly, um, it's a great sound and it's it's a relatively easy thing to get in that zone. Um, so it can be fun to go, okay, but I don't have to just listen to another slide guitarist. I could listen to Miles Davis and then not necessarily, it wouldn't be a bad thing to transcribe what he does, but it's for me, it's more just listening to it. And then when I'm playing, occasionally thinking, what might I do? Or might, if a trumpet player was playing now, what might they be doing? Yep. And they just mentally reach for that yep. and see what you get. Mm. Yeah, a lot of my um, yeah, it, those sort of instruments too. They're very, very much you know they're all about melody. Yes, um, you know it's one note at a time on a trumpet, and you've got to breathe. <laughs> you do so breathe. they're they're good things to remember. You know, like instead of going for blocks of chords, think about a melody. Think about what a trumpet might play if they're playing melody. And one of the things that you will have to do is take a breath, and that gives the audience a chance to take a breath instead of it just being this relentless barrage of notes, which a guitar can do because you don't have to actually breathe when you're playing guitar. That's right. Phrases. Yep. Note to listeners: <laughs> you have to breathe. Breathing is very important. Yeah. Give the audience a chance to breathe. Yeah. <laughs> give the audience a chance, though, in your music. Yes. But yes. Yes. You um, don't get too far in a gig if you don't breathe, though. It's true. No. No. You might not make it out of the gig. You might. No. No. Yeah. Or the song. Or the <laughs> verse. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, so some of my favourite guitar players definitely do say the same things. They go, "I I'm, I listen to a lot of horn players. I listen." To vocalists, and when I play my instrument, I treat it as a, a, like I'm singing, or I'll treat it like I'm playing a horn. So I think it's a great way to look at it. Um, and yeah, just breathing. Some just... people will be more successful than others. I mean, the guy who on slide guitar, who I think I've heard play most like a horn player, is a guy named Dave Tronzo, who's a jazz player from New York City. I think he sure. lives in Boston now, um, plays jazz on bottleneck. And um, yeah. I've, I've seen him play live and I've got a live recording in particular and there's things that he does where you go, well, you can hear that it's a guitar, but in terms of the mentality of it, that's very much like, you know, a Coltrane solo or something. Yes. Um, so, yeah, it can be done. And speaking of guitar tones that sort of fit in the pocket, there was a song I was listening to uh, last night maybe I was, and there was one note that was resonating in this particular solo you were doing or this particular song and it was great to hear you like use that note as like a like a weapon. Mm-hmm. 
purposeful because it had this ever going in, in, when you play an instrument there's going to be one or two notes that stick out and they'll sustain and they'll ring and they'll have like a life of their own and then the rest of the guitar will sound dead like um, typically on a hollow body <laughs> be, yeah. hollow body instrument or some sort of like old older instrument that's been amplified somehow um, I thought that was great, really nice use of, and it was pretty distorted. So I think you're using it on a volume pedal, and it was just like, oh, here's the note. This one's going to go feral. I'm going to use it, and then just back off on it. And mm. It was really, really tasty. Yeah, cool. right, right. The yes, well, it's a good thing about you know amplifying acoustic guitar. Um, I, when I started getting into that, it was in the studio, and I, and I did notice it more at gigs subsequent to that. But but certainly in the initial instances in the studio. It, it really has a different sound to an electric guitar, even to a, like a hollow body electric guitar. There's something about the, the, probably the type of pickup I was using as well. The Sunrise pickup gets a lot of the body sound. So yep. it's right on the edge of, my, of the guitar sounding like it's going to sort of fly apart because um, the, the chamber of the thing, I'm not blocking the sound hole or anything. So once you start getting, particularly with a bottleneck, you know, you can kind of hold your body where the instrument wants to take off, and then the slide. You seem, you know, with the vibrato, you can you can coax it into feedback pretty easily. Um, yep. And you know, and the challenge is like if you don't want it to do that, how do you stop it? <laughs> um, but you know, they're yeah. all again. You know, it's just fun to sort of wild ride it like a wild wild bucking beast and yeah. see see if you make it out of the song alive. Absolutely. Um, Another note I've taken down is is some of the sounds you've got on this high ace record, mate. Uh, insane. <laughs> we had fun with the sounds, yeah. Lamp and fuzz pedal heaven. So um, there was a there was a few of those. Yeah, yeah. Alison and myself um, got into that world. Like Alison's guitar on the song "Leaning on My Sugar." Yeah, that was. We were both playing through small amps. I was using a Rex mascot, and Alison was using a little Fender Bronco. Cool. And she had a fuzz pedal. I was just playing straight in because the Rex is pretty dirty anyway. Um, then Alison. Yeah, just went to a fuzz at a certain point, and it's yeah, it's like a big muff type of fuzz, and it was just yeah, really. Um, it sounds massive, actually. It doesn't sound like she's playing through an eight-inch speaker on her amp, but yeah. <laughs> and there was another one called Poison Hemlock where we both were just you know, it was it was um yeah, amps maxed out and fuzz added on top of it so that it's if you play certain things, the chords will just sort of collapse in on each other. The speaker goes. I don't know what to do. Yeah. I don't know what frequencies <laughs> I'm meant to give you here. I'm just going to barf out for a bit and then a chord will crumble through it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. and But, you know, you do other things and the way that sort of you're playing high on the instruments, sometimes those the sound of those frequencies all fighting for room in a speaker can be quite thrilling. Do you write those songs with those sort of sounds in mind, you reckon? Or not necessarily the song, but when you're in that inspirational sort of process of putting pen to paper... Do you hear like do you hear certain sounds or do you hear like arrangements or or, or do you hear like oh this has to go through a occasionally occasionally phone and uh no nah, not at that stage with that sort of thing no that's that's more in the you know okay 
what am I going to do with this? And you could kind of, songs can be pretty flexible. You can take them a number of ways. And I've probably got better at that over time, just sort of going, you know, even it can be better or it can be annoying sometimes too because you go, <laughs> oh, I've recorded it like this, but I th think I could also record it like that. And then you do, and then you sit there going, I don't know which one to actually use yeah. um, or recording it three different ways and then going, I'm not sure what, what fits. Um, that's where working with a producer is good because then you can have some outside input into that instead of you just having to make all those decisions and then being unable to choose very effectively. But um, yeah, I don't really write with sounds in mind. Um, I mean, someone said to me a long time ago, oh yeah, probably the, so the, the, the best instrument to, to record the song on is the one you wrote it on, but then they weren't a musician. So <laughs> they don't really know what they're talking about. It's just a concept. Yeah. I think a lot of uh, songwriters know, take that opinion. Like if they're just strumming on a, on a guitar that might have been given to them by someone or has memories inside of a particular instrument, maybe they were sitting, I don't know, somewhere beautiful that day and they wrote the song. And like I can, I can, I can understand the aspect sometimes, but it's definitely not a, a yeah, Some of it might be romantic and a, and, a, and a sort of a little bit of a sentimental thing. But, yeah. um, you know, if that means that they feel good about the song when they're recording it and commit to it and get a good performance, then yeah. it was the right thing to do. I yep. mean, it's kind of like how every, everything is a production decision, even if you just decided, you know, you've, did, you've done some demos into your phone and then you decided to release that after recording them, um, you know, in a studio, like properly supposedly, but you end up going, I think I like the sound of the <laughs> phone demos. Yeah. The refined demo recordings were a production decision. Yeah. You know, certainly using them was. So, yeah. you know, it's kind of like that. Every if, if it works, then at the end of the day, um, you know, someone's choice to record on the guitar that they were given by their mate and that they wrote it on, then that worked. Yeah. And and if you decide, ah, actually, yeah, that, that doesn't work for me, um, then that it's a result at the end of the day that, you know. No one, no one sees any of that when they listen to the recording. They yeah. just hear the performance and yeah. all of these sort of decisions about the tone of the guitar and things like that. There's a small little group of people who care about that on the actual recording. I'm one of them, but you know, <laughs> most people couldn't give a rat's ass about yep. the tone of the guitar or whether yep. it sounds like a, a Vox or a Fender. Absolutely. But yeah, I think if it comes out of performance, if it if it makes the performer uh, give a little more, yep. or or um, or the song sort of all ties together nicely, hopefully it's the right decision. Yeah. Follow your gut. Yeah, and 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 again, you just kind of can go with. Well, if you have your musical voice, then whatever you grab, it's going to sound like you. So it doesn't really yeah. matter, and you'll know kind of quickly if you're listening to it back. Ah, that doesn't really do it, actually. That's, but you know. You can you can definitely over obsess about that stuff. Yeah. Just you know, use whatever. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> I saw yeah. I saw T Model Ford, Mississippi Blues guy, when he was yeah. out here, and he was using this '80s era PV guitar that was like it looked like it was out of you know a Poison film clip or something. Wow. Um, and that yeah, and he loved it. Yep. <laughs> it's just like this yeah, and he played it through a JC120. It's like the least oh, blues blues approved setup you've ever seen, and yet that's what he used. That's, yep, mm. you made it work. You sang your song and it was yep. honest and authentic. So yeah, that's well, that's just, you just it, yeah, you can make you can make it work with whatever. Yeah, mind you, you know, I do like having good guitars to play. 
Musley. Speaking of the guitars, you've, um, you've recently got hold of a Billy Tarrant. It's not a guitar, it's a bazooki, yes. right? How's that going for you, yes. mate? Yeah, Good? wonderful. Oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah, I, I asked him if he would make that for me because I saw that he made those. And, um, yeah, I'd been wanting one for quite a while. Actually, I recorded on William Crichton's latest record and some of the songs, there was an Irish bazooki hanging on the wall and fits really well amongst these other instruments. Um, I play mandolin off and on, but a fair bit uh, through the years. And I was like, yeah, it's just, it's like a mandolin, only an octave lower. I mean, sometimes the Irish bazooki will have um, octaves, pairs, um, but this one that I was playing was the unison pairs. So it was, it was literally like yep. an octave lower mandolin. And uh, I was sold, like, oh, I've got to get one of these. And <laughs> I met Billy on a um, weekend of, of shows down there in Tassie last year and just got along really well with him. And um, so, yeah, it was it was a fortuitous thing that we were talking about getting an instrument made and I saw on his website that he makes Irish bazookis. I think he was surprised. <laughs> you know, he thought I was probably talking, going to talk about an electric guitar or something, but, yep. but no, um, Irish bazooki. Yeah, it's wonderful. And- and you've managed to squeeze a few pickups in there, I noticed too. Yeah, well, you've got to amplify them. If I want to use it at a gig, then yep. I've got to be able to, you know. And I like to have some kind of uniformity to the setup. So if, I'm, if I've got a certain way of amplifying guitars, you know, it, it'll have some form of a microphone and running low impedance and balanced down a mic cable and then at least one, if not two, magnetic pickups that I can overdrive and have the, the sound hole or the neck position one as part of the, the clean sound, the supposedly acoustic sound, even though it's running through a PA, so it's not acoustic. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. that sort of representation acoustic. of the acoustic sound, um, it'll be a mixture of a, of a sort of a neck position magnetic pickup and a microphone. So each guitar that I'm using should, you know, each instrument that I'm using should have some version of one of those, of both of those things, so that when I plug it in through the same setup, might have to adjust gain levels and, and EQ here and there, but it'll work down the same thing. I don't have to set up a whole different thing for one instrument, which would be a pain in the ass. Or are you carrying enough stuff? Yes. I first saw that sort of dual pickup thing. Must have been through Darren Neuendorf, I think, years ago. He um, had okay. a Yamaha with the magnetic in there and, and the um, under saddle pickup. I was like, wow, what's going on there? It sounds huge. 
um, and explained to me what was going on. I was like, I've been a convert ever since. I love it. Such a great way to... I think as an electric guitar player for myself, it's a, it's a way to approach the instrument that's got some familiarities. Like I can sort of stomp on a, a boost or a, or put it through a guitar amp and put some tremolo on it or or not have the feedback as much. Um, I, yeah, I, I think I mean, it's a great I used thing to use, to Yeah, I used to have like under saddle pickup um, years ago, you know, like sort of early 90s when I didn't really know any better and didn't know for what worked for me, but I started getting cheesed off with the sound of it. And so initially, um, like in 1995, I, I, I heard a few um, live bootlegs of, of people. They were like, you know, desk recordings. Yes. Um, so it was Richard Thompson, there was Leo Kotke, and there was David Lindley. And they were all using the Sunrise magnetic pickup. Yeah. And I, so I could hear a common tonality to it. And and in truth, it probably didn't sound quite as strictly speaking similar to an acoustic sound uh, as even an undersaddle one, but it had a more pleasing um, kind of front edge to the note and a more pleasing tonal quality. Um, and so I hunted one of those down when I was in the States that year and I went, actually, yeah, I like this better even as a standalone thing. And then I started searching pretty soon after for something else to um to supplement that and initially it was um it was like i guess using soundboard transducers and things like that to just try and get a little bit of the the body of the guitar in there and it's it kind of evolved over time but yeah i pretty much went away from i went away from under saddle transducers for my live sound in 1995 and by sort of the end of that year i was I was using a dual source system. And, and what I discovered pretty soon after was um, sharing the earth through like, cause you know, you can combine those things through a um, single lead, um, you know, stereo lead going to two outputs or whatever. But um, I found there was problems with a shared earth pin for both of them. And especially with a shared, shared shield on the cable. And so at the time, I think the main culprit was I was using um, resonator guitars and I would have a little um, condenser mic inside the guitars. And so that was getting phantom power set up through the, the earth. Um, and, and what that meant, it turned out, was when I was using those and I'd be amplifying it, a little bit of the microphone would always bleed through into the other one just because, I don't know why, probably because of that phantom power getting shared on the common earth signal. And so that was where I kind of went, okay, yeah, that's, that's not working for me. Go to two separate plugs and it's worked well for me since then. That was probably, that's like 1997. I think I went to doing that where it was two separate, two separate leads. Mm. But you know, it's more than some people will want to do to their guitar is have two holes <laughs> at the end of it, but it works. Mm. And was, um, some of your first resonators live, those big um, sort of airline, or did you go straight to the National yeah. or, yeah? No, I, the first resonator I bought was that black um, Reso Glass airline that I've, I've had that for a long time, like probably since 1992 or 90, yeah, something like that. Wow. And, um, yeah, yeah, I used that. I still got that. Love that, that instrument. Um, and I've had various ones since some of Greg Beaton's, Mm -hmm. He's retired now, but he was making them in Newcastle in New South Wales. Um, and 
some old, I've, I've got one of those little solid body three quarter scale national um, from the fifties, like a student model. Yep. It's got like a little small resonator in it. That's yep. actually quite a cool sounding guitar. I like that one. Um, and they're like wrapped functional. in like um, Mother of Pearl, aren't they? Like a drum wrap sort of. Yeah. Yeah, it's got, yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. And that, you know, it's, it's interesting, like the airline kind of sounds like a national um, played over AM radio or something. It's like a little bit more boxy again. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's kind of cool for certain things. And then the little short scale national, um, because it's got a smaller cone and it's solid body, it kind of sounds like a national being played over the telephone. So <laughs> again, you can kind of, yeah. You know, it, it can be a good thing for giving a resonator sound that's a lot pokier. And you don't, yes. it's kind of pre-EQing, I guess. That's some of those choices are like pre-EQ. You go, okay, well, for this song, it needs something that will sit right in this spot. Well, I could play an, a resonator guitar and try and sculpt that afterwards, but it'll always sound a little bit weird and artificial. Whereas this thing, you can actually keep or and have to roll off and bottom end. You can have that stuff in the sound so the the attack and the way you handle the instrument will still have top end, but the instrument itself is kind of constricted and it will sit in, in a certain place of the mix. So, yeah, got various ones like that um, that have different sizes of resonator sound. Um, the one that I tour with, if I'm if I'm touring, is usually um, made by Steve Evans, um, Beltona. And part of the reason I – a couple of reasons I used his one – one of them is because it's um, smallish, so it travels well, and it's made out of um, a resin. So it kind of the tone of it reminds me a little bit of um, of that airline. It's yeah, got, right. You know, the body being made out of a, a carbon fiber resin kind of composite thing. Yep. It 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 gives it yeah, it filters the sound a little bit, and so it's a nice contrast compared to say the acoustic lap steel, which is very broad, wide range kind of sound. Um, and plus, I'd played Christina Olsen's one. She had oh, one cool. of those, and and I was sitting there going, "This thing sounds a lot better than it <laughs> than it should with this body size." Because the body size is like a Les Paul. I was going to say, it's a, a black deeper, Les Paul looking one you've got, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So Christina's got a red one of those, and I was, yes. I was I, actually I wasn't playing it. I played it a little bit after I was sitting next to her. We're doing a songwriting workshop thing at the National Folk Festival. And I'm listening to hers just acoustically in this room with these people. We're talking about songwriting, but I'm going, man, that little Les Paul size resonator <laughs> sounds bigger than it, it than it is. Um, it's quite so, yeah, deep, though, I, isn't it? I, isn't it like a bit deeper than a? It's it's deep, but the thing that it gives it the the the, the um, clever trick that he used is around the side of the well that the resonator sits in. He's got holes in the side of the well because it hasn't got any f holes or grills or anything. Uh, okay. So I was thinking when I'm listening to Christina's, how is how is it getting that low end? Because that will be swimming around inside the thing, but there's nowhere for it to come out. But he, there is somewhere for it to come out. You just can't see it. But it's cool. yeah, it's coming out of the front part of the body and and out through that cover plate. So yeah, he's it's clever design. I think the internet dropped out somehow. I saw the audio bummed out a little bit when you said. So who was it who made it, mate? Steve Evans, Steve Bell Evans. Tony Guitars. Okay, cool. And where are they based? He's in the UK. Yep. Awesome. Well, what's, what's your favourite guitar tone recorded? Not your own, but, mate, what's the, f- you know, if you listen to a, a sound that just gets you a little bit roused up, you know, every time you hear it, it's nostalgic, something um, new. I don't know. Yeah, it's probably the ones that you, you immediately think of are a bit nostalgic, like, um, you know, 
Roy Buchanan, Roy's Blues off the Livestock album. That's just yeah. that searing, nasty, trebly Telecaster <laughs> sound. Um, that's 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 pretty great. Um, and I heard that pretty early on. Likewise, um, there's a live Hound Dog Taylor and the House Rockers album called Beware yeah. of the Dog. Yeah. And both Hound Dog with his sort of sheet metal distorted slide guitar and his second guitarist, Brewer Phillips, who also gets this searingly treble lead sound that's really uh, assaultive and, <laughs> and and nasty so that that's pretty great um then i think um david lindley's lap steel tone on like running on empty by yeah. jackson brown yeah. that's that's pretty top of the tree sound wise um i think that's that's a really great sound i think some of raikuda's sounds on the little village album are really yeah. great guitar sounds it's not one of my favorite of his albums but his guitar sounds on that record are, are really wonderful um, just great textural sounds um what else i mean some of them it's you know i mean i start thinking well, blind willie johnson like dark was the night cold was, was the ground but the, the tone itself is this funny little pokey sound on a 78 Likewise, Robert Johnson. I mean, I think of Robert Johnson's acoustic guitar tone on slide, and it's it's a it's a really great sound. But part of that's the way it's recorded, and yeah. you know, it's what would it have sounded like in the room? I don't know, but I do actually love the sound of his guitar on on some like you know preaching blues and things like that. I think the sound of his guitar recorded for some reason more than a lot of the stuff from that era just sounds really great. Um, so that's that's another one. Beauty. Um, yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot that I could I could keep going. <laughs> I, th- I think Gin Soak Boy for me gets me that that sort of like lead guitar tone on um, the Tom Waits track. Uh, I can't think who it is. Who's on that? Is that Ribo? I think it might be Ribo. Yeah. It's Which just, album's that on? Uh, is it um, Rain Dogs? I think. Mm. Oh, no, just yeah, the it way. probably is. It probably is Rabo. Is that is that that kind of real trebly, but not a lot of sustain kind of sound. To me, it sounds like a three three five through a Tweed Deluxe or something like that. It's got a real nice. Home okay, it might have even been. Oh, actually, it wasn't. Keith Richards played on um, Rain on yeah. Big Black Mariah and Big one Black of the Mariah. others. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know yeah. it sounds There's a bit all like sorts Keith, of sounds but that it's are, not. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah right. I wonder. <laughs> yeah, I wonder who that was. But yeah, yeah, I like I like some of the sounds on I like some of the sounds that Joe Gore got on the Bone Machine album with, yeah. with Tom. They're really um gnarly. Again, they're not back to what I was saying before about they're not necessarily, you know, good guitar sounds. They're just really effective. Yes. They they really do the job for that song, you know, like like on Going Out West. Oh, it's like yeah. Is is it even in tune? You know, it's sort of almost just, it almost doesn't matter. You know, it just something about it is really arresting. Yes, yeah, it definitely helps create the vibe and the and the arrangement for those songs. Just to sort of get you get, get the audience member in the right spot at the right time. Definitely, I really love um, the sound of Mick Turner's guitar on his solo record Marla Rosa, Marlon Rosa. Um, that's a that's a beautiful sound too. He's the guy out of Dirty Three. And uh, he did a solo yeah, right. guitar record. Um, and, yeah, it's got some really beautiful just solo electric sounds. Um, not sure what it is. Sounds like it's a hollow body or something. But, yeah, that's a really beautiful guitar record for tone as well as for the playing. Mm. Yep. What's the best investment you reckon you've made, be it equipment, 
regardless of value? Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I don't rightly know if there's one best investment. Because uh, there's so many things that, you know, no, like you, you turn on your, to answer. on your computer or you turn on your phone and you just like got all these things screaming down your throat, you know, you've got eBay and Gumtree at your disposal, you know, things are pretty easily come by these days as far as gear mm. and, yeah, just wondering probably if you had anything. Probably the, to... the first acoustic guitar that I got off David Churchill was was probably in terms of making a leap beyond what I could really afford at the time and he was nice to me with the price of it too but, but it was still, you know, it was, I, I couldn't afford to buy a guitar at the time. But I saw someone playing his and I played them and I went, whoa, now, that's the first time I'd ever played an instrument where I went, oh, yeah. that's actually how I want it to sound right there in my hands. It's not like, oh, I can work with this or, <laughs> you know, maybe when I get, you know, with electric guitar, I was still kind of, I was finding electric guitar at that point. This is like kind of early 90s. I was very frustrated because I'd play one gig and I'd get a sound that I really loved and then I'd play the next five gigs and hate my sound. And I just didn't really know how I was going to get something good out of it that satisfied me. Um, but, and then acoustic, I was borrowing people's various acoustic guitars and just plugging them in and not really knowing what I was after. And just sort of, let's say, you know, just going, well, I can work with this. But yeah, having David's guitar in my hands, I went, oh, this actually sounds like it's a rewarding sound. This, this sounds like I want a guitar to sound like in my hands. So I bought that and that led to a relationship that went over decades um, using Dave's guitars and, you know, he's become a friend, you know, friend for life. So yeah. that I, I, if I could single one out, that would probably be it. You know, um, there's been little ones along the way, you know, like there's, there's a little guitar amplifier. It's called a Broadway. And I saw it sitting in the corner of a, of a used record store in Geelong um, and that was, you know, when I was a teenager. I didn't even really know that much about the difference between old amplifiers, but it's like, oh, yeah, what's that up there? Oh, that's an amp. Oh, okay, how much <laughs> is that? Um, $50, um, which, you know, would be the equivalent of it being like maybe, you know, $350 now. But yeah. it was not so much that it that it put it out of the realm of possibility. So, yeah, that, and I've still got that and I use it all the time. So that was a pretty good investment. That's great. Yeah, there's a few old amps that are like that. I still, I still use these amplifiers that I've had since I was a teenager. That, that I would buy them now if I was in a secondhand music store and I saw one of these sitting there. I'd go, "Ooh, I'd like to buy that." But I've had them since I was, you know, 17 or 18, just because yeah. they were floating around and no one seemed to know, no one seemed to care. Um, <laughs> so yeah, there's some of those. But yeah, probably that guitar of Dave's was, was the one thing that has been like a, it set up a, a good path of you know collaborating with guitar makers and yes and and having a good relationship with them instead of just sort of stumbling around and buying you know like my electric guitar at the time when I got that was just you know whatever I could have afforded at the time it was actually a Stratocaster that was a real beat up one that I got because I was teaching at a guitar store in Geelong and um it came in it looked like a angry partner attack you know it had like <laughs> it was a black 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 Japanese Stratocaster with it had like a chisel had been fucking stabbed into it all over <laughs> so all this paint and divots were fl had, yeah, flayed out of it yeah, so i got you. it for next to 
Yeah, yeah. It was one looked like one of those. Someone had someone had gone the attack on this thing and not in a way that was meant to make it look cool. Sure. So yeah, that was my electric guitar and I just didn't really know what I was doing with it particularly. So um yep. yeah, that guitar of Dave set up a good thing. That's great. Yeah, I, I definitely um can understand the relationship with not only a maker, but just just someone who you can talk to in regards to setup and tone and um, and just being able to listen and go, okay, I think you need this. I think you should try this or do this. So definitely a good relationship yep. with a with a luthier or a, or um, craftsman, someone who knows how to set up a guitar. Um, and definitely, there's an so many good makers around Australia too. There's there's, oh, there's good people everywhere, and and so we're really lucky like that. Um, and I'd and encourage anyone who's here going, oh, I want to play in a yeah. If you want to play an Australian made guitar, you can. You can go with a, a factory made one, but I'd encourage anyone to establish a relationship with someone who's close by, so you can you can drive over to their workshop and and sit in, in amongst them, and they can they can tap wood for you and show you what the difference is. You know, they can bring you into the process a bit. Definitely worth ways to spend a few hours of your time. Yeah, yeah. Well, because these are people who are passionate about music in their own way too. It's just a yeah. different part of it. Mm. Well, Jeff, I reckon we might wrap it up, mate. Thanks very much for having a chat today on the podcast. Uh, no worries, podcast. Pete. My pleasure. Um, all the best for your future endeavours and hopefully, hopefully we can catch up again soon. It's been a long time. I've been – it feels like I've been isolated yeah, <laughs> here. So hopefully I can get out and see some music and get to catch up. And Yeah, man. I'll, um, yeah, good talking with you, Pete. And, um, catch you soon. Have a good one in Lonnie tonight. Thanks, man. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate it. Cheers, mate. Thanks Good on you. See ya. Thanks for listening, folks, to another episode of Say It With Guitars. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to the podcast, share it around to your mates, leave a good review, and hopefully we'll see you next time.